Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth are full of his glory. Brothers and sisters, why is not the best question to ask all the time. Why is a fine way to introduce a joke to set yourself up for a punchline. Why was six afraid of seven? But when your friend is sitting next to you, distressed, in complete despair, and he or she is crying, and they're going through something very intense, asking them why they're crying might not be the best thing to do. In fact, I was talking to someone a while ago who has years and years of counseling experience, and she was telling me about how she always avoided using why questions with her clients, because why always puts people on the defensive. Like if someone's telling you about their problems and you say why, 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 they feel like they have to explain themselves, they feel like they have to justify their pain. And that's not a nice position to be in. Now Isaiah is God's prophet. He is God's chosen representative among his people. He is God's chosen instrument to proclaim law and gospel to the nation of Israel. In Isaiah chapter 40, the first verse starts off with God's divine command to Isaiah. He says, you better comfort my people, Isaiah. You better speak tenderly to them. You better encourage them. And our verses for this morning don't happen that far uh, after this command, divine command to Isaiah to minister to God's people with comfort. And how does he do it? Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Seems a little disrespectful, doesn't it? Seems a little confrontational. Israel, I know you're in pain, Isaiah says, and he's speaking as ju just as much to you and me. I know you're in pain, but have you stopped to think about why? Now, the way that Isaiah summarizes the pain is that people are wonder, people are thinking that God has disregarded them, that God has forgotten about them. Now, maybe Isaiah is quoting something he heard directly from the people he was ministering to, and now he's going to answer it. Maybe Isaiah is summarizing the general complaints he's been hearing. He's been counseling people. He's been talking with people. And he can sense that this is on everybody's mind. It's possible that Isaiah has been revealed to by God the, the deep yearnings on each individual's hearts. But I don't think that's necessary. I don't think Isaiah had to work too hard to know the deep question of the human heart. The, the yearning, the struggle that is your and my daily struggle of wondering if God has abandoned us. If wondering where God is in my pain. Now, I know a lot of you have been Christians long enough where you know you can't say stuff like that, right? <laughs> you can't say God has abandoned me. I know a lot of you have been Christians long enough where you know not to think of God like a divine clockmaker, like he set up his clock and he wound it up and now he's taking a big step back and he's just watching the universe uh, uh, do its thing, unravel, without any direct 
involvement. You know to say that God is always present, that God is here, that God is powerful. But sometimes our thought patterns show that we have that attitude, that we might just believe that we're on our own. That terrible, terrifying, horrifying diagnosis comes in that even though you've been feeling fine, cancer has been growing rapidly throughout your body. How could that happen under the divine watch of an all-powerful God? The newsreel keeps going. You can't escape it. It's on at your barber. It's on at the grocery store. It's on wherever you get your news. And it's terrifying. It's horrifying to see the violence and hatred that's going on around the world and in our own community. Is it true that that could happen under a God's careful observation? Couldn't that be evidence that God has taken a big step back? Or you slip, again, for the umpteenth time into a familiar pattern of self-destructive behavior. You mean to tell me that God is still at the wheel and that he hasn't ditched the car long ago and now I'm at the wheel and I'm a bad driver? Now, you know you're not allowed to say stuff like this, but you felt it. I felt it. Isaiah's felt it. The Israelites are feeling it as they sit in exile and Isaiah preaches to them. But it's worth asking, why? Why, in your pain, are you so quick to question who God is and where he's at? Have you ever grilled yourself about that? No, I don't, I don't grill myself about that very often. I kind of assume that my conclusions are correct, but Isaiah is hitting the pause button. Now, wait a second. Why do we do this? Why does a teenager who just got his driver's license, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody in particular, drive particularly recklessly? It's, it's a statistical certainty that the most reckless you will drive in your whole entire life is right when you get your driver's license. Why is that? It's not because in driver's school they don't tell you about the statistics and how it's very dangerous to drive recklessly. It's not because the teenager doesn't know that he's taking a risk. It's just that he believes that that stuff that he's heard about is not going to happen to him until it does. Why is it that a man who is so convinced that men need to be absolute pillars of strength, they need to show no emotional instability whatsoever, will force himself not to cry at his own wife's funeral. Why is it that someone who is convinced that they have no sin will get extremely creative to try to explain to you why their sin is not actually sin? It's because we are so committed to thinking of ourselves as invincible when we're not, as emotionally stable when we're not, as completely moral when we're not. And we are so committed to that that when things go wrong and when we suffer and when we're forced to admit our limitations, we won't. Instead, we will blame God rather than just admit it. We are weak. We suffer. We fall to temptation. Isaiah says, why do you do that? Don't you know who God is? That's where he goes next. Do you not know 
Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Isaiah takes us back to Sunday school. These are the first things you learn about God when you open up the Bible, isn't it? Genesis chapter 1, the creation of the universe. This is one of the first things we cover in Bible basics here at Trinity. This kind of stuff is coming up constantly in Bible study. You know this already. And a lot of us have a very short patience with hearing things that we know already, don't we? It's like if you tell an NBA all-star player that he needs to attend a, 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 a dribbling seminar on a Saturday. He's going to say, no, I don't need to go back to those fundamentals, right? Well, let me ask you this. You get, into a, you get into a car with your friend, and it's a stick shift car, and he's driving you to your destination, and he stalls out. Not just once, not just five times, he stalls out ten times. Wouldn't you ask him, do you know how to drive stick shift? You and I, I do it too, we keep banging our head against this brick wall, trying to prove to ourselves that we have no limitations, that we are invincible, and it never has worked. We keep almost blaming God for all of our problems, and Isaiah says, are you sure you know who God is? God is everlasting. He always has been. He always will be. He wasn't born. He's not going to die. God just is. God wasn't born yesterday. In fact, he wasn't born at all. He sees the entire human race. He has watched every human being that has ever lived be born, live, and die. He is very familiar with what our lives are like. He has seen every single one. God is powerful. If you think of superheroes and their superpowers, they kind of have to stay in their lane, don't they? The Flash can run super-duper fast, but he can't shoot laser beams from his eyes. That's Superman. Superman can shoot laser beams from his eyes, and he can do a bunch of other stuff, but he can't manifest his imagination through an alien ring. That's the Green Lantern. And the Green Lantern can do that, but he can't solve crimes like Batman can. So each member of the Justice League has their own powers, but they have to stay in their lane. God has no lane. He is not, his power is not containable. There is nothing that God can't do. If God wants to do something, no one can stop him from doing it. There are no laws that God has to follow. There, there's no rules that, that bind God to following. So God, and God proved this to us when he created the universe. Speaking the universe into being from nothing, doing something that no one else can do. So God's power is absolutely limitless. So do you realize how silly it is to wonder if God doesn't know what you're going through? There isn't a single thing in the entire universe that he doesn't know. Do you realize how silly it is to wonder if God has run out of power, if God has run out of energy, run out of attention, for you, that's impossible. He has no limits. We are the ones who have limits, not God. 
we are the ones who come home from a stressful day at work and we don't have time, we don't have the energy to spend with our kids because we need to unwind first. We are the ones who, who struggle to say no to that one beer over the limit because we've been spending all of our willpower not looking at that attractive person at the bar. Our energy is a finite resource. Our compassion is a finite resource. Our morality is a finite resource. It runs out. Not with God. He's different than us. And did you notice? So far, none of this is helpful, is it? None of this is comforting so far until you get to the next two words in our lesson. Just the next two words. I really don't want us to blow past them. God is amazing. He's powerful. He's eternal. He gives. He gives. How does God respond to your limitations, to your weakness, to your weariness, to your guilt, to your sin? He gives. He gives because he loves. Because just as much as God's power and his understanding and his wisdom are infinite, God's love for you is infinite. God has chosen a relationship with you and he has defined that relationship as one of give and take. God gives, you take. That's it. God set the pattern for this relationship by coming down to earth. You see, he was born. He existed before that, but he, Jesus gave up a comfy spot in heaven to take on human flesh. And as Jesus took on human flesh, he took on all of our limitations. He knows what it means to be exhausted to be pushed to his emotional limit like you are every single day. Jesus knows what it means to be stressed, to be starving out of his mind, to be dehydrated. Jesus knows what it means to be human. And he has taken all of our weakness and our limitation and our guilt and our anxiety and our stress, and he took it to a cross. Where breathing his last breath, he, he took away our sin. And he gave us new life. Because by dying and being buried and then rising again, taking up his crown again, he has taken away the authority that death and sin and the devil had over you, and he has given you a new way to stand before God. Not as a weak, horrible, miserable little creature, but as God's dearly loved child. As a forgiven, washed, pure, and holy, innocent son and daughter of God. Promising that God's love for you will never run out. So what you don't have to wonder, no matter what you're going through, is if God has stopped paying attention to you, if God's compassion for you has run out. That's never going to happen. But that still causes us to wonder why the stuff happens in the first place. Let's let Isaiah speak. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. We have some pretty physically fit people in the church this morning. I'll bet some of you can run so much faster than I can. But let's say we have a sprint off out in the parking lot after church. 
and some of you sprint as hard as you can, and you beat me by so much, so much distance for 200 or 400 meters, but then what happens? You are tired. You need to take a break. Some of us for a long time after we sprint for 200 to 400 meters. Our energy runs out. We are limited. God can sprint forever if you par pardon the metaphor. There is no limit to what God can do, so let's look at what God has done. God has chosen to reveal himself to you on the pages of Scripture. But God has chosen not to give you the answer to every question you have. Why not? Because that would not help you, God has determined. God has not caused you and me to be able to comprehend him 100% because we couldn't. That would be like trying to pour a gallon of juice into a 12-ounce cup. It ain't going to fit. The eternal God, the infinite God, is not going to fit into this tiny gray slop in here. It's not going to work. But God has not left us without any information. He's given us 66 books revealing his love and his plan and his intervention throughout human history. He's given us plenty to go off of, to know that while our understanding is limited, he has shown us that his love for us on the pages of Scripture is unlimited. And here it is for you. As often as you need it, as often as you are pressed to your limits, you can come back to it. God has given you your baptism as a gift to come back to as often as you need to, to know that you are loved. He's going to give members of Trinity in a few minutes his, uh, the body and blood of Jesus our Savior to remind you to strengthen your, your faith in him and increase your love for one another. God's main goal is for you to know how loved you are so that you can trust him. And since when do we need to understand someone 100% to trust them? That doesn't apply to any of your human relationships. Sure, you spouses, those of you who are married, you know your spouse very, very well, but you do not know them 100%. You're still learning about them. Of course you are. How much did you need to know about your mom when you came out of the womb before you could love her and trust in her that she was going to provide for you? Nothing. You didn't know anything. In fact, in a human relationship, when you say that you do have someone completely figured out, oh, I know what he's going to say if I bring this up. I know what's going to happen. That's when the relationship is in trouble, when you think you have them figured out 100%. So why would we think that way about God? We don't need to understand him 100% to know how loved we are and how we can trust in him. Finally, you know what this reminds me of? There's a story in the Gospels that tells us about when Jesus is on a boat with his disciples. And he's tired because he subjected himself to human weakness. He had to take a nap. And while he's on that boat with his disciples, there's a big storm. And it's cascading and the disciples are terrified. As you would be too, as I would be too. It's a small boat and the waves are big. We would be scared. Jesus gets up and he rebukes the storm. He rebukes the waves. It stops and the, the surface of the water is like glass. Perfect turns to his disciples and he says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? See, the why question is not confrontational, but it's worth wondering. What truth about God am I struggling with right now? What do I need to be reminded of? 
And you go back to Jesus in his word, and he's ready to remind you again. You have a source of infinite strength here in God's word for you because God will connect you to his infinite love. Amen.